you ever thrown you a curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who've been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy Podcast. Hello, everybody. Michelle Slaney Travato here. I am so excited to welcome you to another episode of the Living Your Legacy show. As always, I love to talk to legacy makers, people who are out in the world creating positive ripples of change that literally change the ocean for everybody else that's swimming around with them. And today is no different. So I'll start by saying that as a parent of a young adult with disabilities, one of the biggest worries that I have for him, my son, is As he ages out of the school system, what will his life look like? Is he going to be able to be gainfully employed in a job that fulfills him and leaves him feeling like he's making a mark in the world and making a difference, which interestingly enough, research says is what most of us actually want. Or is he going to end up just getting hired in some kind of job that leaves him feeling kind of alone and lonely and unfulfilled. And that's a big worry for me. And I know for so many other families with kids with disabilities, this is the similar concern I hear from them. What's going to happen to my child? Will people hire my child? Will he or she be able to work in a place where they love going, where they feel like they're contributing something to the fabric of society? We all want that for our children. And of course, that fear sits with me. My son's had a number of work experience placements and they haven't gone so great. And so he's actually worried about that, as am I. And along the way in my podcast and being introduced to amazing people, I was introduced to our guest today. And when she started talking, she took my breath away. I was so enthralled with everything she said with her heart and how big her heart is for the community of people she serves. So I invited her to come on the show. And today I am so excited to talk to her, to hear what she's doing and why she's doing these things that literally change the world for a whole bunch of people. So let me introduce you to my new friend, Stephanie Stephanie Brazley. Stephanie Um, has written this beautiful bio that I totally enjoyed. So I'm going to read this out to you. As a lifelong educator, Stephanie has spent most of her 30-year teaching career in public education. Right there, she owned a piece of my heart because that was my background too. She has been a case manager for special education students, co-taught math and English classes, and taught reading classes. During the last four years prior to her current position, she coordinated a transition program in the high school she taught in. In this position, she had her students volunteering, participating in internships, and running several different community activities like monthly dances and movies at a local theater. That sounds like so much fun. As the project search coordinator and instructor, she works with the host business Concord Hospital to create internships develop um, opportunities to learn employability skills. That's so awesome. Besides her passion for supporting individuals with disabilities, Stephanie enjoys spending time on the main coast with the hope of retiring there, but not too soon because I think your legacy work isn't done yet. She also enjoys reading, gardening, and spending time in nature. Stephanie, I am so excited to have you here. 
Thank you, Michelle. I am excited to be here, and I very much appreciate your you giving me this opportunity to speak about, um, well, a lot of these things. You know, transitioning out of high school and um, helping young people who, you know, have maybe struggled in the school setting, and hopefully helping them to have some success in the workforce. Um, mm. And that's what Project Search is all about. I um, love that. That opportunity. So yes. Yeah. Perfect. So um, let's start. I start all my shows with this question. Um, so the question is this, when you were in grade four and the teacher asked what you want to be when you grow up, pretty sure the project search coordinator was not on your radar because my guess is it maybe didn't even exist back then. So even if it was around, you would have had no idea it existed. So what did you want to be? And did you do that? No. no. One, I, I believe back then I, I wanted to do something with animals. You know, you always are like a vet or, you know, something in that in that field. Um, so, no, I, I did not end up in that field at all. Um, I actually followed in my mother's footsteps um, and went into education. Um, and she had been a special, educate, special ed educator for a long period of time. Um, and when I when I said that, I'm, you know, going into college and I was going to, I was actually going to go into psychology, mm -hmm. um, didn't turn out so well for me. Um, but I then did a summer program, um, that had me working with a young, young man, um, with Down syndrome mm -hmm. and I fell in love. I fell in love with working with individuals with disabilities and the opportunity to see them grow. Um, so I, I changed my major and I went into, uh, become a special educate, special educator. Um, and the rest has kind of been history. So <laughs> 30 years in, so I must, I must enjoy it. You must. Um, and I have to tell you, as a parent of a special needs child, that just makes my heart sing to hear you say that you fell in love with working with this group of people, um, that something about helping them achieve their goals just resonated with you enough to make you want to stay for 30 years. I love that. Yes. Yes. Um, and as I said, you know, working in a high school, a public high school for most of my career has, um, led me to the opportunity of, you know, being in classes, um, but also working, you know, one-on-one -on -one with individuals and really getting to know their, their strengths, mm -hmm. um, their areas that they, they struggle with, mm -hmm. um, and really helping them to carve out what pathway they want to take, um, as they exit high school. Um, and so many of our young people are struggling with that. Mm -hmm. They don't know because nobody's kind of guiding them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations because as, as special educators is that, um, we, we had to get through certain curriculum. You have to get through, you know, mm -hmm. the, the credits to graduate. Um, but we were missing out on some things that really would help, um, many of the individuals that I was working with to gain more of those, um, skills that would put them in a better place as they left, which they weren't going to college necessarily. Mm -hmm. They were looking to get into the workforce and how were we helping them to do that? And I think we kind of at points missed the boat on that. And I, I became pretty passionate about how can I support young people with um, taking that next step, giving them the skills that they need to prepare for employment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when Project Search, the um, position of Project Search came around for me, I just thought that this was my natural progression from being in a high school, working, um, you know, a lot on transition uh, and then going into the transition program that I had developed in the high school to, to this. Mm -hmm. um, it was just that next, I guess, next piece in the puzzle for me. Um, as a, a, as a lifelong educator, you know, where did I want to see myself? And I felt that I, this was really going to help me, I guess, um, leave that legacy as, as you've indicated is like, um, that here I was helping young people, um, learn, learn the skills they needed, um, 
being immersed in a work environment and then supporting them as they graduated the program to go out into um, employment. And that's part of what we do as well. You know, once they graduate, we work with them for for a period of time um, after to get that employment um, piece in place. I love that. And it resonates quite strongly with me. One of the things mm-hmm. I'm in Canada, you're in the United States, but still, the it's not all that different on this continent of ours. Um, I find that with my own son, that in the K to 12 system, there are certain things that they focus on, but then there's a really big divide between where that system ends and the adult system picks up. In fact, I've been likening it for the last year or so to kind of like the width of the Grand Canyon, but without a way to get across. And I agree completely as an educator, a former educator myself and a parent, that sometimes the school gets caught up in mandated curriculum, in things along those lines. And we forget that the kids who are in those special ed programs need more time and more support and more structure to help them understand what's possible when they leave high school. Um, You know, when you look at your average neurotypical kid, these are conversations that parents have with their children usually very early on, right? What do you want to be? What do you, what are you interested in? Or you seem to have an aptitude for this. Let's get you into some volunteering. Let's go try this out. Let's go see this job. Let's go look at this program at a, at a, maybe it's a course or a post-secondary thing, or maybe it's a college level or community college level course to help kids pursue areas of interest that could become areas of work. But with kids with disabilities, often those steps aren't done. The focus is on the medical model of what's wrong with your kid and how do we fix it. Mm -hmm. So if your child can't speak, well, then we'll focus on speech language. But it's the production of sounds rather than how to communicate effectively. Um, You know, let's work on um, academic skills like math or reading or writing, but it's simple things like how to print my name or understand what the signs are on the washrooms to tell me which one is the right one that I should go in um, or to understand how to cross the road. None of those things prepare kids for life after high school. They're great, but there's a really big gap there. And mm-hmm. so like my son, You know, we're looking at life after high school and you're right. There's not a lot of post-secondary institutions and post-secondary programs that are available for people with disabilities. Often they have high levels of skill set requirements to get in. Like you must be able to read and write and you must be fully independent to get Mm. yourself back and forth to classes that say someone like my son couldn't do. And so, and they're very small. They might be only 18 people in -hmm. an entire institution that get taken in for that particular program. So what do you do? Um, And I, I really feel that disconnect. I really am feeling it this year as a mother looking at my son and thinking, gosh, I missed out on all those opportunities to talk to him about things. Now I have been talking to him about it and we've sort of refined a little bit because mm. once he understood what work was and that it's different than school, then he started talking about the kinds of things he might like to do for work. And so that was kind of that's been a cool process to figure out what it is that he wants and yeah. and what he doesn't want and why he doesn't want it and and that kind of stuff, but I totally see what you're saying that it's kind of like the door closes on school and now you're on your own kid um, and your family. You guys are on your own. Go figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that many parents feel that way Mm -hmm. um, is they are, it's like the cliff, like you said, the Grand Canyon, how do you get across? Or I say, well, you've got that cliff and you look down and I I don't know, you know, what, what, what's next. There isn't, um, a whole lot of guidance mm-hmm. uh, to help individuals connect to the, you know, the agencies that might mm-hmm. be out there. Um, and so they're kind of blindly finding their way. Mm-hmm. And many times it's, it's through some, you know, oh, I, I heard about this, you know, from somebody else. Um, and I think that 
for me, my what I do is that we we connect um, families with the area agency, the um, Department of Human um, Health and Human Services, uh, the vocational rehabilitation, because that's part of our um, partnership. Um, so as Project Search is a partnership is, you know, you they're connected to those agencies. So we've already developed the connection. And then as the individual goes out for employment after they finished our program, they can continue with those agencies to support them along the way. You know, and, and the other piece is there, there's also the connection of potential employers. So, you know, where we have a host business, you know, our individuals are already connected. And so a lot of times when an individual has done well in a program um, or excuse me, an internship that, you know, the hope is that they would apply for the job and they they'll get hired. Um, and that's that's a lot of what we try to try to work on is, you know, developing um, kind of that pipeline of, um, of individuals who have had, you know, nine months of, of training, more or less. Um, and who could potentially go into a position. Um, and a lot of these, you know, the positions are that entry level, but they're complex systematic tasks that we're asking them to do. Um, so that, you know, there, there's always um, looking at what's the value that you're adding to the department. And that, that's been a question I ask the interns at their end of their day is like, how are you adding value? You know, and because and I, I think that for all of us is, how do we add value into our our work that we're doing? You know, mm-hmm. what makes us do what we do? And we have to see that we're adding value. And so, you know, um, that's always a question as we reflect on our day. You know, how did you add value? What have you done today that, you know, has made maybe the department a better place, made this organization a better place, um, maybe even has made you a better person? You know, so really kind of thinking about that. And I think reflection is such an important thing is we we kind of help young people go through um, what they're learning and to reflect back on that, you know, what's worked well for them. And I, I want to kind of swing back to that, the transition aspect, you know, out of um, coming out of high school is that, you know, really there needs to be that piece of, like you said, the conversations and that should be happening with the, with the teams, you know, the parent, the, the student, um, the special educator, you know, um, whoever else might be a part of that team. What, what is this young person strengths? What are they able to do? You know, and really how can we foster, you know, that, that as they move forward versus always, like you said, looking at uh, the deficit. Well, you know, so-and-so can't do this. So, well, we're going to have to do more speech or more of this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is what are their strengths, and how, why can't we we focus on that? Um, particularly as we we're really moving towards, um, you know, to, that transition out of high school is that um, they're not they're not necessarily stuck having to do um, those academic requirements. They can, you know, feed into something that you know, is more interesting for them, more their strengths, something that they are passionate about, because that's what we all want to be doing. You know, I'm not going to go into a, jo- a job that, you know, be in neuroscience and I I have no clue um, yeah. and I'm not probably wouldn't be very good at it. So, you know, I went into education. I felt that that was my connection. I, you know, um, I want to help people. So kind of that was my strength. So you know, that's what we do. That's beautiful. And I noticed a word that you've used a couple of times. And for those on the podcast, you can't see this, but behind Stephanie, she has a beautiful uh, background of a bridge and connection and bridging go together because a bridge connects one piece of land to another, allowing people to move across what would otherwise be a difficult situation easily. And that's the whole idea you've been talking about building those connections with our students, with our young people, with the community. I've often said, when I go back to my Grand Canyon analogy, that, you know, we've got high school here and employers are on the other side. And for them, it's scary too, because Mm -hmm. they don't know what my son's abilities are. They don't know what accommodations he might need. They don't know how expensive 
would it be to accommodate him? They don't know how hard, and that's a question that they have, but are afraid to ask, how hard is this going to be to mm. have him employed here? How many accommodations do I need to make? Do we need to have, you know, the entire company get trained in something specific so that this person can work here? And so I, I see that that big divide can mm. literally be bridged by people like you who understand both sides of the equation what employers are looking for, but also the skill sets and the abilities of the people you've got so that you can actually build those bridges and the connections for them so that everybody can cross the bridge, not just a one-way street, but both sides. Because there are employers who are interested and would be willing, um, as long as they've got some reassurance and support, Right. they would be like, you know what? I'm okay with this. Let's look at that. Let's see what we can do. This means something to me too. I want to be able to say in my business that we hire people with disabilities, that we believe in diversity and inclusion and not just in words, but in practice. And, you know, then there's the other side with the people who want to be employed and want to, like you said, add value, be fulfilled, be gainfully employed, become productive members of society. They're good for the economy when they do that for sure. Right. So let's talk a little bit about project search. I want to, I want to really focus in on this because that's the vehicle that you're using right now to drive across that bridge. So tell us what it is, how it kind of came about, what they do. Tell us a little more about that. Well, um, it really started, um, in Cincinnati at Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, Mm -hmm. um, in 1996. Aaron um, Riley, um, a ER nurse, um, saw that there was um, kind of this gap in that there were individuals with disabilities coming into the hospital, but there were no role models or people working within the hospital that were of with disabilities. So she she kind of was like really concerned and, and felt that there was a problem with this and wanted to, you know, venture out and how do we, how do we fill the need of these, there were a lot of high um, turnover jobs, high turnover. Um, and she partnered with um, Susie Burkowski um, and they started Project Search. Um, and at this point, um, it is an international program with 714 sites um, around the world. Uh, Currently in the United States, um, 48 states do have project search sites. Here in New Hampshire, our small little state, we have um, five um, sites, um, Concord Hospital is being one. Uh, And so uh, we've been on the site, uh, this Concord Hospital site, for 15 years. And so um, of that 15 years, I've been here five years. So still you know, kind of new to the program, but you know, I I feel like I'm I'm pretty confident in what I'm doing after 30 years of education. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we do is work with individuals with disabilities, um, preparing them for employment. It's we're looking to the outcome is um, competitive employment, um, which means at least 16 hours um, a week of work. Uh, it is meaning that it's not seasonal and that it's a competitive wage. Um, and it's jobs that other people without disabilities would be doing. Mm-hmm. So that's what we look for. That's our outcome. Um, and what we do uh, is we work with um, the individuals, not only in a training room, but then out in actual internships that we have developed here in the hospital. Um, in different departments. So we have departments that work with, we work with um, food service, we mm-hmm. work with um, the ED department, we've worked with security, we work with uh, central um, processing. Um, we, so variety. Um, in a lot of the positions that we're, we're putting our interns into um, require them to learn those systematic complex tasks. Stocking. Um, we have people making kits. Um, we have had people who work in the um, central 
um, sterile processing, where they are taking and the, the equipment that has come out of the, the um, sterilization machine and they're wiping things down, putting things away. And then that's detailed work. Oh, yeah. So, you know, making sure that these kits are ready to go for the next um, operation. So they they and they also will deliver um, the carts. So a lot of different opportunities um, that we've we've provided for the interns that that attend the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I said, it's this transition, an opportunity um, for individuals who are in their last year of high school um, to come into the program and have that nine months of very intense um, work experience. And typically our interns are in their internships for 22 and a half hours for the week Mm -hmm. um, where they're getting, you know, not only those hard skills, but the soft skills, the skills that are some just difficult to teach in a high school setting, I think sometimes. So giving them the opportunity, how to communicate with people, uh, teamwork, what does that mean? How do you work as a team? Uh, the idea of problem solving, you know, when something's not working, what do you, what do you do? So really, working on a lot of those soft skills mm-hmm. we do that in the training room we we have some very um specific um um curriculum that we use that project search has developed mm-hmm. and then we use that um as well as you know some other things that i've brought in from my experience and taking that and being able to have the individuals what they've learned in the training room take it out into the workplace and apply that and so we we help them develop that um, those those things and then um what we will do is practice you know so it's myself and my skills trainer um sometimes programs will have two skills trainers we currently have one skills trainer and the skills trainer works with the individuals in their job um providing that support as they're learning new tasks Mm -hmm. Um, maybe it's something, again, if they're, they're struggling with a problem, uh, within the job, um, maybe not how, not knowing how to communicate with their manager that we role play, we work through that and then they go and do that. So we really are working on developing self-advocacy skills, um, the ability to, um, understand what it means to be a good, good employee, um, and, and really having those those opportunities each day to come back into the training room and reflect on what their day was like. You know, what did you learn today? How did you add value? You know, what is something that you think you can take forth maybe into your next internship? So there's a there's a lot of um as I said, reflection aspects too um throughout our day. That's amazing. My heart just keeps expanding. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The more you talk about this project about, you know, I'm so inspired by that because as a parent, I have been sitting thinking, who is outgoing? Who's going to help me build these bridges? Who's going to help me collect my son and, and arm him with the tools that he will need for specific jobs? Cause I don't, know what every specific job needs, right? And so I've been listening to you and thinking, that's so impressive. Do you have a rough idea of how many people with disabilities have been served through the search party project? Just a rough idea. Um, so I've got my research. Fantastic. <laughs> you for being a part of the living your legacy podcast community in 2022 we can honestly say 2023 is going to be an exciting year we've got some new things going on that we'd like to share with you the living your legacy podcast is now offering advertising spots we found many entrepreneurs spent lots of money on advertising last year only to find that they weren't falling in front of their ideal audience we'd love to help you get your message out let's discuss this Click the link in the show notes to book a time to chat and see if this could be a good fit for you. So enrolled in 2021-22, there were 
3,855 um, that were enrolled uh, at that time. Um, let's see here. We are looking at, so approximately, and uh, that's just within that time period. So typically for like our program, we we are looking at anywhere between um, six to 10 interns that we take. So we are smaller mm -hmm. um, and that over the 15 years we've served here, this uh, 109 um, individuals. Again, my heart just is like bursting with excitement. When you gave that number of 3,000, I'm assuming that's throughout Search International. Um, yeah. So you can extrapolate that in the 15 years. It's, it's you know, upwards of 10, 15,000 people with disabilities have right. gone through these programs and many have become gainfully employed in those particular environments. And I love the things that you said there around teaching them the specific job skills. Like if you're going to be cleaning um, equipment that's going to go into an OR, you need very specific skills for that because that's a very specific task that must be done properly or else illness or death could happen. Like that, that's a, that's a life and death thing. So mm -hmm. you've got to be able to do that properly. But if you're going to go deliver those to people, then you need to also be able to deal with people walking mm -hmm. around and who do you speak to and, and how do you, you know, how do you address them? How do you clarify if you don't understand? How do you, because they're going to want you to put it somewhere specific. What if you don't understand where that is or how to do that? How do you ask those questions? All of that stuff is, is extraordinary. But more than that, I love the fact that the, the young people with disabilities are not hidden away in a room somewhere, you know, with the door closed, nobody ever sees them doing a job that nobody really wants to do and, you know, getting paid very little. This is, they're a part of the fabric of that workplace, as much a part as anybody else who is working there. I love that the whole focus was on and the initiative to start this was about looking around and seeing that there wasn't representation in the staff and that people coming in with illnesses that had disabilities or needing surgeries had no one to look at and say, that person's kind of like me. There's no sameness there. Mm -hmm. And so how do you aspire to something if you can't see the sameness, right? Because if you right. only ever see the differences, then you feel very much alone and everybody wants to belong for sure. If COVID taught us nothing, it's that. We all want to belong somewhere and we want to feel important and we want to feel similarities with the people that we work with. So having people be visible in a workplace like that allows parents like me and my son, he doesn't miss a person with disabilities in the workplace. Every time we see somebody, he's like, look, and then he'll make a comment, same, me. Like, yep, same yeah. as you. And that to me, like just saying that to you brings tears to my eyes to yeah. think that that's how much it means to him, that he has to point it out every time that we see somebody with differences in a workplace mm -hmm. that he's like, I get that they're the same as me. And then he'll ask, are they working? Is that their job? Yes, that's their job. And I can see the wheels turning in his head like, oh, huh. Like, that's cool. And don't we want that for all our kids, no matter what mm -hmm. their ability levels, right? We want them to feel like that person's like me, or I could strive to be like that. I could strive to do that job. I could strive to work here. How cool would it be to work here in this place? Or I would get to work with people like that doctor or that nurse that I think is really cool and they were nice to me and I want to I want to be a part of this to have those experiences is inspiring yeah and it's so inspiring that search has taken on the initiative to say I love that you said competitive jobs yes. these are not again these are not the hand me down nobody wants these job jobs this is something that other people without disabilities would be applying for or could. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's a competitive point to get in. But also these, these places of business like Concord Hospital can proudly say that they are diverse employers. Yeah. 
that they practice inclusion. It isn't something that's written on a wall and that's the only place you see it. It's something that in their, in the very fabric of what they do every single day, everybody is just there. Right. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, and I think that that's, that's the beauty of this program is like allowing individuals with disabilities to, as you said, just be in positions, be around the people. Um, I think the other piece that you had said was about your your son recognizing and seeing other people. And those people are role models, you know, mm-hmm. that he's striving like, oh, I could do that. I can work that. And I think the the young people that we we help, they're going to be role models. And so, it, you know, it just kind of snowballs and, and hopefully opens the door and for more individuals to take that step and say, I could do that too, you know, um, and it's, you know, that's what is the beauty of all of this is the excitement of um, really giving um, individuals this, this opportunity to uh, live out their fullest life. Mm-hmm. And so when we talked before this call, you had mentioned a couple of things around um, some of the people that you've worked with having gained successful jobs and now living either semi-independently or independently. Could you speak a little bit to that? Because search just what happens with you guys. That's not the end of it for these individuals. It's the beginning. So could you maybe extrapolate a little and talk a little about their lives and, and how this has kind of grown over the time you've been there? Uh, yeah. So, um, like I said, we, we do, um, work with the individuals after graduation. So we have a celebration to, um, you know, really send them off, uh, onto their next journey of, of employment. And so once they're, they're do that, we, our hope is though, that they are employed before graduation. That doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they've, once they've graduated, we work with them, um, continuing to develop uh, the opportunity to go out and inter- um, interview, uh, go to some onboarding if they're, they have been hired, uh, and then watching as they continue on. So we're always in, um, connecting with them to ensure that, one, they're still things are still going okay. Um, has there been any change in the employment? Um, and how can we support them, continue to support them? And so we do that the, fo- the following year. So after they're, they've graduated that second year, we do a lot of that follow-up with them to ensure that things are going along um, well for them. Uh, and then we also work with the adult agency, you know, because at that point, that piece is picked up by them by the adult agency. So they may have a case manager um, or maybe they have the supported employment piece because as I said, we work with them to determine are those the things that they're going to need and kind of coming back to the accommodation piece, you know, really thinking about what are those those accommodations that they might need. And a lot of what we do is when we're looking, working with them here in the, um, in their internships, we identify different accommodations. And a lot of times those accommodations are very minimal or do not cost a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, again, like you had talked about, you know, employers really concerned about, oh, you know, how are we going to, to do this? What, what kind of accommodations are going to need? Um, is this going to be expensive? Oftentimes, accommodations are less than $500, if not free. I mean, we, we really have to think outside the box in that that case is that, you know, accommodations don't have to be expensive. Um, and so we, we identify that. And so when we, we send them out into employment, we've already know what's going to work for them and kind of that's something that they bring along with them as well. Um, so, you know, thinking about a full life, you know, we've got individuals who've worked um, 40 hours because that's what they wanted to do. Um, we've had individuals who've decided, you know, part-time is better for me um, because I like to do some of the community stuff that mm-hmm. I had been involved in before. Mm-hmm. So I think the other piece of this is allowing individuals to have a choice. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to work? 
Do you want to work full time? Um, you know, what is it that you want to do in your living situation? We've had individuals who have decided that independent living is what we would like to do. And so kind of talking about that, um, part of our curriculum really is talking about um, budgeting. You know, so when you start getting that paycheck, oh my goodness, now oh, it's exciting. Yes. You know, it's, it's money in my pocket, but are there things that I should be saving for? Should I put money in a, in a savings account? Um, so we do, we talk a lot about that piece too. Um, and then also thinking about the resources that, that are available to them if they were going to live independently or semi-independent, you know, what are your resources? Who are the people around you? Yes, mom and dad, but who else? You know, and, and kind of developing that circle of support with them as well. So, you know, we 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 really are, you know, working on all, you know, employment, but also helping them to be a, a complete person. And whether that means, you know, like I said, living independently, maybe getting their driver's license. So we have individuals that have wanted to get their driver's license and helping them through that process, whether that be taking um, a drivability class um, to determine whether or not, you know, they can start driving, um, you know, in the near future or other things that they need to work on. Um, so really trying to to give them a complete, um, fulfill, full, uh, fulfilling life is what we do. That is so beautiful. And for those of you, again, on the podcast, you can't see, but my face hurts from smiling so much um, as Stephanie was talking, because this just, again, I, my heart is singing. You're saying all the things that I have been saying myself about my own son and the students that I've worked with. And again, I'm looking at that bridge on the picture behind you and thinking that that's what you are providing is that bridge to the other side to employability and a fulfilled life, a bridge for employers to be able to come over and say, okay, so here's the things I'm worried about. I don't want to be sued for being worried about them or not getting it right. I don't want to risk having someone claim that I'm discriminating. And so I have a lot of fears and worries and I need to know how I can sort through this. How, what do I need to do? What is required? What is going to be helpful? How can I be a part of this without feeling like I'm going to lose my shirt by hiring this person? Cause I have to make so many expensive accommodations. And as you said, and this is also something I know, Often the accommodations are relatively simple things. There are often other associations or organizations involved with people with disabilities that can provide, say, for example, tech that they might need. It does not necessarily have to be the employer that's actually purchasing and providing that. And so having somebody or an organization that somebody can turn to and say, so I'm nervous, but I'm potentially interested walk me through this, hold my hand and, and show me how we can do this and how I can be matched with somebody who wants to be there, who is going to either have or be developing the skill sets that I need. And then how can I accommodate that? So, you know, if somebody has for example, my son has fabulous social skills, but he is functionally nonverbal. So he loves being around people, has no trouble with being around people. But the, the him communicating out to the world can be a little bit of a challenge. And so that's an accommodation that would need to happen. And people can sometimes feel worried about that. Like, how do I, I don't want to make him feel uncomfortable. I don't want to make his family feel uncomfortable. What do I do? I'm not really sure. And of course, in those situations, a lot of people will withdraw when they're fearful like that. So having somebody like you and an organization like the search project come in and say, we're going to address all those concerns with you and with the people that we have here. And we're going to work together to see how we can work this all out. You essentially become the bridge between those two. And you are the one helping everybody crisscross over so that the world can just kind of flow along amazingly. And I love all of those things. Um, and I love how you have functioned in a role that just seems such a natural fit to you. Like this is not stuff I can tell you've made up. This is you yourself with your really big heart speaking yes. 
into all this and speaking hope and possibility into both the community of disabled people you work with and the employers that you work with to say, this is all possible, guys. We just, we put on our creative thinking hats. If we're all willing to give a little, we can all gain a lot. And that's so incredible. Um, I wanted to just read out what you wrote about your legacy. Cause it's a question I ask all my guests, what's the legacy you're living into? And, and again, it inspired me so much. So I thought I'd share it with our audience. You wrote, I hope my legacy is to give the individuals I work with the strategies and tools to be the best versions of themselves. This version includes working, having a voice, being independent in ways that make sense for the individual and living their best life, which you have talked about over and over again. And here's something else she said, folks, she's so humble. Honestly, I don't see myself as an expert because I am always learning. I have a lot of experience in public education and an understanding of transition services for individuals with disabilities. My zone of genius is making connections with students. It's important to me to have a relationship of respect and care for those I work with. And I think that is so beautiful because when we approach people from that position of respect and care, whether that is a person with disabilities or an employer, then we have the ability to forge amazing relationships so that people can, in fact, progress and move forward. And everybody can benefit from that. I think that that is just so extraordinary. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So now tell us, if somebody is interested in learning about Project Search, how could they find out more information about it? Yeah, so um, I'm going to direct somebody to go to the national site. Mm-hmm. Um, which is um, www.projectsearch.us. Um, and that's where you're going to gather a ton of information about Project Search. Um, they have videos. Uh, there's information about programs, um, where you can find a program. Um, you know, and it's just... Amazing. I, you know, actually, you can also go out onto the web, uh, excuse me, YouTube, and there are a ton of videos just seeing individuals working in their internships and the, the success and the, the celebration that happens, um, when a young person is gaining, I guess, that confidence in their abilities, uh, to work. Um, and so it's it's truly an amazing program. And I, I feel very grateful um, to be a part of it. Um, and again, hopefully making a difference. Uh, oh, I have the sneaky feeling you are. <laughs> yes, I think so. so. I think so, uh, for sure. So how I'm sure there's going to be people in our audience who are thinking to themselves, I would love to talk to her. I would love to talk about how I can look at transitioning for my own child, or how can I bring more transition stuff into what I'm doing in maybe my own school, if I'm a teacher, or you're an employer who's like, huh, I never thought about this before. And I would love to just open the door for more conversation to see where this could go. How can people find you? Because I am sure they will want to. Um, Well, let's start with um, an email address. Um, S as in Stephanie, so S. Brasley, B-R-A-S-L-E-Y, at S-A-U 8.org. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. That's Um, perfect. And so for those of you who are listening, this is also going to be in the show notes. So if you happen to be driving, do not try to write this down while you're driving. No distracted driving. That is bad. Don't do it. Um, But it'll be in the show notes for you as well. Um, Stephanie, I am so impressed. As I said at the beginning, I was impressed by Project Search and and even more so impressed by you and your, your clear love for what you do and the clear sense that you have of how to be that transition person to help people move from one system into a different one. That being the school system into the work system and looking at what life can be like for young adults when you focus on what's 
possible. We hear the word impossible a lot in our community. And if we switch it up and look at what is possible, we have the ability to create a profound legacy. And clearly, the search project has done that with the thousands of lives that have been touched by it. And that's just the the people with disabilities that have gone through by further extension the employers, the other employees and those workplaces, you can't help but be touched by that too in a positive light, right? To help create understanding and compassion and inclusion and acceptance. Those things all come from what it is that you're doing. And I'm so thrilled to be able to shine a light on Project Search and on you specifically today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate, again, this opportunity and just, you know, having this conversation with you. Um, I think that it's something that needs to be highlighted. And I'm, I'm so glad we were able to do this. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited <laughs> that we were able to connect because I think this is just amazing. So I'm going to allow you to leave one kind of final thought with the audience. Is there something that you would like to just share with people before we go a thought to leave them with oh gosh um yeah i think that you know when we think about young people who are going out in the world um that having the the opportunities having the the chance to to grow and giving them that opportunity i think that's the big piece is is not putting um low expectations on them, really giving those high expectations because oftentimes they want to rise to those expectations and you just need to give them that, that opportunity to do so. So I love that. So let's not put limiting beliefs on the people in our lives because the trouble with low, with having the bar low is that everybody reaches it. Um, we need to raise the bar a little and allow our people with disabilities to literally soar. Thank you so much for being with us today, Stephanie. And for the audience, I just want to remind you that Stephanie and I think you are awesome. Go out and start living your legacy today. Does the thought of follow-up give you a foul taste? Do you find yourself wondering how you can ever stand out from the crowd, but need it to be easy and convenient? With a system like Send Out Cards, you can stay in touch and top of mind with only a few keystrokes. People's inboxes might be full, but their mailboxes are empty. Reach people literally where they live, work, or play, and watch the warm fuzzies go to work for you. See the show notes for a link where you can send your first card on me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.